0: Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Uh, but we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, in verse 11, is where we're going to be picking up. So if you need a Bible, there's some print Bibles in the back of the room. Feel free to grab one. Uh, go ahead and pull out your device, your tablets. Uh, make your way to Ephesians chapter 2. While you're doing that, question for you Have you ever felt alienated, or alone, or isolated? Left on the outside, looking in, not feeling a sense of belonging to the group that you're supposed, you think you should be a part of. Maybe you feel that at work, you just don't have those relationships at work and you always feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel that way in school, you haven't found uh, your people, your friend group, and you're always kind of like alone in the classroom, don't have anybody to share with. Maybe you even feel isolated in your family. Uh, You have a fractured family and broken relationships, and you just feel a sense of isolation. There's lots of different types of alienation and isolation. Uh, Marxist doctrine uh, talked about alienation in the terms of economics, right? That there was an economic alienation that was plaguing uh, our societies and our culture that kept people without the money on the outside looking in, longing for something more. Uh, John Stott, a famous pastor, and theologian and his commentary on Ephesians talked about alienation, and he talked about uh, how we kind of changed from economic alienation to political alienation in our current culture. Well, that was 40 years ago when he wrote that. That now that if you're on the outside of politics looking in, that you would feel alienated, like you don't belong, like you don't have the power to change uh, what is happening in your circumstances. Today, I think... There's another type of alienation that's always been around, uh, but it kind of trumps all these other ones, uh, and that is social alienation, which seems kind of hard to believe, right? Because socially, the world is more connected than ever. Uh, we have devices that connect us around the world, and we can communicate like that, right? But if you find yourself on the wrong side of an argument uh, or a differing, differing opinion, right, you can be canceled, you can be alienated from society. And we see that happening uh, over and over again with people who like to you know, share their thoughts online. If you choose the wrong identity, the wrong social cause, the wrong club, or maybe just make a mistake, you can be left on the outside looking in. But social alienation and loneliness are so bad in the United States that the Surgeon General actually declared an epidemic of loneliness. More connected than ever, Yet nearly 50% of adults in our country report feeling lonely, isolated, or alienated. But long before social, political, or economic alienation, we all faced a, a worse fate, and that is alienation from God, alienation from our Creator. See, our alienation from our Creator and His plan is the very reason that we deal with every other type of alienation, isolation, loneliness. This wasn't God's plan for people. Uh, First and foremost, we are meant to be in relationship with him, not alienated from him. But we're also supposed to be in relationship with people, not alienated, not lonely. God means for us to flourish through community. That's what we're going to see in our text today, that not only did God reconcile us and alienated people to him, but he also reconciles us to each other. So, a little context if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, uh, to catch you up on where we're at in Ephesians. uh, Ephesians is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So, in chapter one, we see Paul explaining the spiritual blessings that God has granted followers of Jesus Christ, right? That they are chosen by God, adopted into his family, lavished with grace. And that they have an inheritance that's not of this earth, that it, an inheritance that is eternal. And that these blessings are sealed and cannot be removed from us by the Holy Spirit. So then in chapter 2, as we saw last week, Paul begins to lay out how we got there, how we got to have those blessings. And what we saw in the first half of chapter 2 is Paul explaining who we were. That was individuals alienated from God spiritually dead. and we saw what he did for us. Now, it's through his great love for us, he sent Jesus to reconcile us. And then we saw at the end of the verses last week, so we saw who we are now. That is a people saved by grace, created for good works, which God prepared for us. Which then brings us to verse 11 today, where we see a lot of parallels uh, between verses 1 and 10. But now Paul's talking more corporately about the people of God, not just individually. So corporately, we're going to see who we were apart from God, what God did for us corporately, and who we are meant to be together. And then really the big idea right up front before we get into it today, I I hope you take away, is that as we live in an ever alienated and isolated culture, uh, the people of God are meant to be different. Church, we are meant to be different. United as one family, one kingdom, and one body. And as we examine the text today, remember this. God wants us reconciled to him, yes, but he also wants us reconciled with each other. So we're gonna look at verse 11. We're gonna see who we were corporately uh, before Christ. So Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, Paul writes, therefore, remember that formerly you The Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul begins verse 12 with this imperative command. An imperative is like, you, you need to do this. He says, therefore, remember... Right? Therefore, because you've been made alive, you need to remember. Remember who you were when you were dead. So we saw last week in verses 1 through 3 that we were all spiritually dead, all separated from God. So now Paul is reminding us that the church, not only were we spiritually an outsider, but also socially and relationally, we were outsiders as well. Particularly those who were Gentiles. Right? And Gentiles just means, right at the time, non-Israelite. Not part of the kingdom, but other nations or other people groups. And he says, remember that you were mocked and called the uncircumcision by those who thought circumcision granted them righteousness. They thought that the deed of the flesh granted them righteousness with God. But he goes on to list out five other things that we should remember. And it starts off with, remember that you were separated from Christ, right? We were spiritually dead. Remember that you are excluded from Israel. So for Gentiles, no matter what your position in society, even if you lived in the heart of Jerusalem and lived out a Jewish faith, if you were a Gentile, you were still an outsider. You were still alienated. Remember that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. The promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and David for the nation of Israel weren't meant for you. And remember that you had no hope. And you had no God. The best that the Gentiles had before Christ was false idols that offered no hope. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins with no God, no hope, and no community. Now, the Israelites were also spiritually dead, right? But they still had hope, right? They had hope in the Messiah. They had hope in the promises of God. Made to the people of God, and the Gentiles did not. And we too are Gentiles, and that's where we found ourselves. So, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, 2026 is going to be a big year for the United States. Uh, anybody know? World Cup? Yeah. Uh, Two hundred and fifty years. 250-year birthday, United States will turn 250 years old in 2026, Uh, which seems when you're 40, that seems a little, like, that seems old, seems kind of crazy, right? But when we compare it to some of the other superpowers in the world, other countries in the world, uh, we're pretty young, right? We're kind of like a teenager. Um, You got nations like uh, China, Japan, England, France, and even Israel themselves, who have been around for thousands, if not longer, some 3,000 years, in one shape or another. But one of the benefits of being such a young nation, I think, is that we can look back with relative clarity on our history and learn from it, right? We can look back and see the struggles of the the early colonies and what they had to deal with. We can see that they had to rise up against a tyrannical government that wanted to tax its people to death, and we can learn all about it in Hamilton, If you haven't seen Hamilton, it's pretty good. You should watch it. But we can also look back on the horrors of slavery and how it divided our country and led to a war and drove division between brothers and families and citizens. And we can learn from it. We can learn from how we healed from that we can look back and see and remember the globalization of America, our politics and our values, and how we became a major player on the world stage. And we can also look back at the terrible wars that helped us get there, that not only shaped our country, but also the world. But as Americans, the hope is that we don't look back with envy of times gone by but that we look back and remember so we can learn, so we can grow and move forward and be better than our ancestors. So for us Christians, we are to remember as well. Like the church in Rome who Paul was writing to, we are Gentiles. We are ethnos, that's the Greek word for Gentiles here, of the world, of the nations, not from Israel. So as Christians, we look back not with desire for what used to be, not longing for what we used to be, not longing for the world, right? Because there's a danger in that. And Paul and Christ himself have something to say about that danger. Paul says in Philippians 3 that he forgets what lies behind and strives for what lies ahead. And then Jesus in the Gospel of Luke tells a man that's wanting to follow him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom, so there's some confusion there, like we're supposed to remember, but we're not supposed to look back. Paul says to remember, but he says he forgets. So what, what is he telling us to remember? That's our, our testimony, right? Our Christian testimony of who we were before Christ and what Christ did for us, because that is the power of God in us. So we look back, knowing that we too were once spiritually dead, but made alive through Christ, no longer alienated from God. We look back and celebrate that, not longing for who we used to be. Separated from Christ, excluded from the promises of God, without hope. We remember that we're a part of a broken and divided world. A world that alienates us based off of race, gender, ethnicity, wealth, social class, religion, so many other things. We look back and remember that we're rescued from that. Not with envy, but with praise to God. Because we cannot serve the kingdom and look back fondly of who we used to be. This is a trap that many of us fall into. You want Jesus, but you want the world. You want salvation, but you want all the things that you used to do. We live a double minded life. And if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we begin looking back more than looking forward. Christ saved us so that we would be a new person, part of a new kingdom, not longing for the old, but learning from it. So we look back to remember, but your focus should be forward, striving to be a citizen of his kingdom. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard because we want to look back and remember who we were and what the world offers. But there's good news because we can focus on what Christ did for us. So as we pick up in verse 13, we can see that. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, Thus establishing peace. Verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So, verse 13 begins very similar to what we saw last week in verse 4. So last week, as Paul was describing our state of spiritual death in verses 1 through 3, he begins verse 4 with hope, but God, but God. We are dead, but God. So now verse 13 says, but now in Christ. So we were alienated, but now in Christ, that is no longer the case. In spite of who you were, in this case, a Gentile separated from the promise of God, Christ has brought you near. How does he do this? By his own blood, shed on the cross. To be reconciled to God, a payment had to be made. Christ made that payment in his blood. Why? So that God could unite the world in peace for his glory. So he took two groups, Jew and Gentile, opposed to each other, nation of Israel, nation of the world, and he removed the barriers because he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to the promise that he would bless Israel and make a great nation, as he told Abraham. But he also told Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and through his nation. Christ does this by putting to death the hostilities that divide people. As Paul points out here, part of this is abolishing the law, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, this doesn't mean that Christ abolishes the moral law, right? Because the moral law comes right from God's character. But this is the more, the ceremonial law, the cultural laws that Israel would follow. Things like the sacrificial system, the dietary regulations, circumcision, the way they dress. God is doing this, doing away with this to create a new man no longer identified by Jew or Gentile, but now identified in Christ, all accomplished through the cross. Christ put to death on the cross the sin and enmity that divided us. So as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, he says that Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not reconciling us as people groups, not reconciling the whites and the blacks or the Jews or the Europeans and the Americans, but reconciling us all as one united people group, bringing peace to those who are far and near and giving giving us hope and providing us access to the Father through the Spirit. I think the application here for us is that if your identity is in Christ, then the old you is gone. You are a new creation bought by the blood. So then there should be no division amongst us within the church. There's going to be division in the world, but there shouldn't be division amongst us in the church. Jesus has brought me near and you near and countless others near so that we would have peace and unity and family and a kingdom, each of us individually a new creation in Christ, brought together so that corporately we would also be a new creation, a creation that would shake the very foundations of this earth with the proclamation of the gospel. Yet that doesn't always seem to be what's happening with the church. The world is divided. We see division, but also we see it in the church. We see hatred divisiveness being preached from pulpits all around the world, congregations who chew up and spit out leaders and church members because they don't conform. We see now with the internet Christians who hide behind keyboards, uh, take the very word of God and distort it to fit their own worldview and become hostile with it. Why do we, why do, we do this? Why is there so much division in the church? There's a lot of reasons. I got two for you today. First, many of us have taken our eyes off Christ and fixed them back on the world. You're looking back and remembering, but in all the wrong ways. Why? The world can't save you. Money can't save you. Sex can't save you. Power can't save you. Your identity can't save you. Only Christ can save you. And you confess that once. Why are you looking back for something else? Only Christ saves. And when he saves, he sets us apart to be the unified church. And you can't have it both ways. When you do, neither will satisfy. My first year attending a church, I tried to have it both ways. Didn't surrender to Christ, enjoyed being at church, but lived in the world. Uh, I quickly fell to ruin trying to do that. It didn't work out. James says that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We try to do both. We live unstable lives, not being satisfied by either. But we look back and remember what Jesus saved you from, but we don't go back there. He has something so much better for us, and it's here in community together. And the second reason many of us struggle with this is our faith is tied to another identity first and Christ second. We struggle with being unified because our faith, our identity, is something Christian. And you hear these terms all the time. Uh, white evangelicals, black Christians, conservative Christians, liberal Christians. The list goes on and on. Um, and then, then we begin to drop the Christian part altogether. Oh, I'm, just, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a progressive. Whatever it is you want to fill in the blank with. Can we just go back to being followers of Jesus, right? Do we have to put labels on it? When people ask us about our faith, can you say, I follow Jesus, right? I'm not this or that. I'm not Baptist. I'm not Catholic. I'm not Protestant, whatever. I follow Jesus, right? Build that relationship. Then you can unpack some of that other stuff. But our identity is Christ first. We need to stop putting labels on it. Because when we identify ourselves with anything before Christ, that becomes the most important thing. Then those things become elevated above Christ in our lives, Then the very divisiveness that Christ died for begins to creep back in, into our relationships and into our church. Now, that's not to say that we are to be ashamed of the things that make us who we are, right? Don't be ashamed of your, your background, your ethnicity, your characteristics, Right? I come from redheads. I'm proud of it, right? Gingers. I'm proud to have conservative values and beliefs. But my physical characteristics, my personality quirks, my beliefs, my values, and anything else I can identify myself that I can grab onto do not trump my spiritual identity in Christ. Christ died for me, adopted me, brought me into his family, made me an heir, and has made me one with the rest of his people, you, you. And he's done the same thing for you if you've confessed him. So our identity is in Christ. We need to drop any other secondary identities. And when we do that, we'll see that he brings peace and community that we so desperately seek. So we saw how, saw who we were. Uh, We saw what Jesus does for us, bringing us near. Let's uh, wrap up in verse 19 through 22 and see uh, who we are now. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and of the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So Paul brings the text full circle. So we began in verse 11 and 12 as strangers, as alienated people, excluded from, the, excluded from citizenship, without hope, without God. But because Christ brought us near, we are no longer strangers, no longer alienated, and have been made citizens of his kingdom and brought into his family with the hope of a great inheritance. And here's the really cool thing about being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom is already built. It's already established. You know, we can live here in the 21st century and look back thousands of years into history. Uh, we can look back on American history, but we can look back on world history too. Uh, we can observe the, observe the ruins uh, and remains of great empires and kingdoms around the world. Uh, we can look back at Egypt and see these pyramids and structures that they built, these amazing feats of engineering, and we can marvel at them. Pyramids that are still standing today because of the foundation that they were laid on. Uh, but here's the thing about uh, Egypt uh, I'm kind of glad I wasn't alive when they were doing that kind of stuff. Uh, there was like hundreds of years of slave labor, uh, people, you know, thousands of people dying to build those things, uh, just to lay those foundations for those empires. And as amazing as those foundations are, and some of them are still standing, eventually they're going to crumble as well. And those empires have already crumbled. Our kingdom has already been built and it's everlasting. And it wasn't built by slave labor, but by the King Himself laid on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, men who proclaimed the good news of the kingdom with the cornerstone of the foundation, the thing that holds it all together being Jesus Christ. It is Christ who has made us alive, saved us so that we would then become part of this kingdom. As it says in verse 21, fitting us together and growing us into a holy temple. Holy meaning set apart and temple meaning dwelling place for God. So we would be set apart from the world and then together that we would be a dwelling place for God. God dwells in us individually, but the power of God and his spirit will be magnified through us corporately. We often underestimate the power of God inside of us, mostly because we rely on our own power and understanding. But we definitely underestimate the corporate power of God when we are together. As individuals, God can do amazing things in us through his power and through his spirit. But God's plan for the world is you. It is the church. It is gospel community proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So we don't have to be stuck in a culture that alienates and isolates based off of what you can do or what you can bring to the table. The people of God are different. We are meant to be different. One body brought near by Christ so that the power of God might be displayed through us for his glory. Let me wrap up uh, Ephesians 2 for us. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite chapter, uh, one of my favorite chapters in all, all of Scripture. Um, in fact, 2017, the first time I ever got on stage and, and preached to a church on a Sunday evening. Uh, scared as all get out, but I, pre- I preach from Ephesians chapter 2, so it has a special place in my heart. Uh, but Paul does such a fantastic job of illustrating for us really twice of who we were, what God did, and who we are. So I can clearly look back and see how God made me alive through Christ, and I hope you can too. But I can also look back and see how I longed for belonging, how I would bounce from group to group, culture to culture, job to job, trying to find a sense of belonging, trying to shed that feeling of alienation. If you're a high schooler in the room, if you're a young adult, I'm sure you can relate to that Trying to figure out where you belong. And it wasn't all bad, right? Made some friends along the way, participated in some cool groups, but it never satisfied. It never filled the God sized hole in my heart. So coming to God, salvation changed my eternity. But finding the family of God, finding the church, finding community changed my everyday. Now some of my my best friends, some of the most fond memories I have uh, are of doing ministry with people like you. Individually, we are precious to God, but together we are the power of God. Remember where you came from. Remember what he saved you from, but keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Let's label ourselves uh, with Christ first and foremost, and we can then celebrate what makes us different. Let's embrace gospel community so that we can experience the corporate power of God. And may we always proclaim together that Jesus is Lord. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.